Well, good morning. Uh, hey, hey there. Uh, I don't usually wear a suit and a tie to this service. We had traditional uh, service in here, not in our sanctuary, right before this. Uh, so anyway, someone asked, is there something special going on today? Uh, you're wearing a suit. I'm like, no, just church, just regular church. Uh, but it is special. Um, and uh, I got an important question to ask you as we get started. Uh, what do you think about when you think about how God thinks about you? That's an important question. What do you think about when you think about how God thinks about you? Because often when we think about how God thinks about us, we often think about ourselves. Too many tongue twisters, probably, I know. But when we think about how God feels towards us, we often think about ourselves and, and in particular our behavior, Am, am I misbehaving or am I behaving? Was, was, I, was I nice to my wife and my kids and my husband, my coworker, my neighbors, all that? Did I, did I, did I pray? Did I, did I read my Bible? And, and, and if I can answer yes to some of those questions, then when I think about what I think about when God thinks about me, I think, well, I'm pretty good. But if I answer no to any of those questions, right, lost my temper a little bit, or I haven't opened up my Bible since the third grade when when I got it, I haven't been to church in a long time, then that changes the way that I think about what God thinks about when God thinks about me. That we tend to think that God thinks the same way about us as we think about ourselves. And, and our default is to think about ourselves and to judge ourselves based on our behavior. If I'm behaving, then God probably thinks I'm doing okay. But if I'm misbehaving, then, well, maybe not so good. And even though we know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, sometimes we don't know that we know. Especially when we know that Jesus knows what we've done or what we haven't done. Our default is to judge ourselves based on our behavior because that's how we're brought up in this world. When we're kids, as we're raised through school or, or even our jobs where we have performance evaluations, even some of our relationships are judged based on performance. That if I do right, then, then I am right. And if I do wrong, then I am Wrong, But then we take all that and, and we project it onto God and we think that God thinks about us the same way we think about ourselves. And it's all about our behavior. Well, let me just give a disclaimer here, okay? Uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but, but just so we're clear, God does care about your behavior, all right? God does care about how you treat your, your husband or your wife or your spouse or your kids or your coworker, your enemy, all that. That's all clear all throughout uh, Scripture. God cares about your behavior, especially your change in behavior, but your change in behavior does not change the way that God thinks about you. Because the way that God thinks about you, the way that God thinks about you is always, always, always about love. 
the way that God thinks about you is always about love. And that is scandalous. And that is grace. It's offensive. It's scandalous. It's unfair. It's even reckless, it would seem. And so one day, Jesus was out teaching. And it says this, it says in in Luke 15, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Notice that, that the tax collectors and the sinners They're in one group, but really they're in two separate groups, right? That the tax collectors were so hated that the sinners didn't even want to be lumped in with them. Like, (laughs) hey, we know we're bad, but we're not tax collector bad, okay? They're in their own whole category of bad. But these were the people who followed Jesus. These were the people who were in the front row of Jesus's church. If Jesus did have a church, but he was just out in the town in the field teaching and preaching out there. Uh, and these were Jesus's friends. He, he seemed, all throughout the gospel stories, he seemed to actually really like these people. And these people seemed to really like him, even though they weren't really much like him. But then there was another group of people. And they were the ones in the back row with their arms crossed. Sorry for the people in the back row back there, not to pick on you, nor for the people in the front row. So if you sat in the middle, you're, you're good today, okay? Um, <clears throat> but there was another group of people. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I love that. You can just, you can just hear them muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, these people didn't like Jesus because they didn't like Jesus's friends. And they didn't like that Jesus hung around with those kinds of people. He should be disgusted by them. He shouldn't be drinking with them. And the second group of people were the scribes and the Pharisees. They they were the people who, who tried to follow the Jewish law so strictly, so strictly, They tried their best to to be on their best behavior before God. And because they were always trying to be on their best behavior before God, they believed that God liked them better than those other misbehaving people. And so here are the two groups of people who have come together to listen to Jesus teach. The first group thinks that they're so bad that they could never be accepted by Jesus And the second group thinks that they're so good that they don't even have to question whether or not they're accepted by God. It's just assumed that they are. And Jesus notices that he has both of these people in his audience. And so he tells them a couple parables. Now, parables are are stories that are completely untrue, but they're used to convey a much deeper truth. Completely untrue. They're, they're not historical. Uh, they didn't actually happen, but they convey a much deeper truth. But unlike fairy tales, parables don't end with a happily ever after moment. Instead, parables end with a question being placed before us. The, the hardest spiritual question that we'll ever have to face. Will I trust in God's love or not? 
And so by the end of all of this teaching, Jesus has everyone in the crowd questioning what they thought when they thought about how God thought about them. And so Jesus starts off and he says, imagine that there's a shepherd and he has a hundred sheep. And one day one of the sheep uh, wanders off and, and gets lost. Wouldn't the shepherd go and leave the 99 and go searching after that one? And everyone in the audience is probably thinking, I don't know, that's kind of a big risk, but I, I, could, I could see a shepherd doing that. Jesus says, okay, okay, imagine there's a woman, and she has 10 precious coins, and, and she loses one of them. Wouldn't she sweep the whole house, turn everything upside down, move all the furniture outside until she found that one coin that she was looking for? And everyone in the audience is, yeah, they're not along. They're, they're, they're getting it. And, and we understand this too, because whenever we lose something of value, immediately its value drastically increases when we lose it. Whenever we lose something of value, immediately its value drastically increases. The longer you are without that item, that lost item, the more valuable it becomes. So you lose your keys. And for the first five minutes, it's not really a big deal. You're, you're checking all the usual places. You're not too worried about it. And then 10 minutes in, 20 minutes in, an in, in hour in, and now you're in an all-out panic trying to find your keys because you know that if you can't find your keys, those valuable things, then you can't get to work. And if you're late to work again because you keep losing your keys, then your boss is going to fire you. You realize when they're lost just how valuable they are. But when you find them, when you find them, you're not mad at your keys, right? You don't take your keys and shake them and yell at them. Now, that's silly. You might be mad at yourself, but you're not mad at your keys. And so now everybody's starting to kind of get this. They're, they're tracking along. And Jesus tells one final story to drive his point home. So it says, Jesus continued. This is, this is verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. How many sons did the man have? Okay, that's really important. Hang on to that. There's a man who had two sons. And the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And we could easily, as modern readers, just, just read right on past this, not, not think much about it. But this was so offensive. This was so offensive. It was as if the younger brother said, Dad, I wish that you were just dead already. I, I, I wish that you were dead already so that I could have my portion of the inheritance. Right now. Right now. Because, Dad, I don't really want you. Dad, I don't, I don't really want anything to do with you. I just want the stuff you can give to me. So can't we just pretend that you're dead already and you go ahead and give me my inheritance and at that point everybody in the audience gasped because even though they didn't agree, agree upon much they all agreed that that's no way to talk to your daddy they all knew that but the father he agrees and he divides all of his 
property. He begins selling everything, liquidating all of his assets, and he gives the younger son a third of everything that he owned. Jesus goes on and he says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I love that, wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. And in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Not even the pigs would share with him. The younger son went away and he bought into a lifestyle that was too big for him. He bought into a lifestyle that that he couldn't afford financially or morally. And the farther that you are away from the house of the father... The farther you are away from the house of the Father, the less able you are able to hear the voice of the Father calling out, calling you a beloved child. The farther away you are from the house of the Father, the less able you are able to hear the voice of the Father calling out to you a beloved child. And the less often that you hear that voice claiming you as a beloved son or daughter, the more you are to try to stake your identity in the things that have no firm foundation. And so now the son realizes just how lost he has become. So it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to the father. He came to his senses. He, he had his eyes opened and, and he had that, that stirring within his heart that, that he needed to go back home. There was that that awakening, that, that conviction that he needed to turn around and go back the way that he came, go back to his father's house. And all along the way, he's rehearsing this apology. Father, I have sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your servant. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but call me your servant. Jesus says, but... But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, and then everyone in the audience, they were all leaning in. And they couldn't wait to hear how the son was going to be disciplined. And the tax collectors and the sinners, they, they were all worried because, well, they've been there before. They, they know he's about to get what he deserves. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're excited. He's finally going to get it. He's going to get what he deserves. And they know that the next word out of Jesus' mouth was that the father was filled with anger. The father was filled with shame, embarrassment. But Jesus says the father was filled with compassion. 
the father was filled with compassion for him. And so he ran out to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he can even finish his apology, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like your servant. The father says, no. Stop right there. Stop right there. And then the father calls to his servants. And he says, quick. Quick, bring me the best robe and and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate for this son of mine. Did you catch that? This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. They began to celebrate. The father, the father doesn't demand any explanations. He just welcomes him home. He says, this son of mine was lost, but now, now he's back home. He's been found. He's been trying. He's been searching far and wide for a place to call home all the while. He's had his home right here with me. Welcome back. Welcome home. And he looks at his son. And he says, son, I see you. And I know you don't see yourself the way that I see you. You've been rolling around in the pig pen for far too long. And you don't see yourself the way that I see you. And look, Everything that you've lost on your journey, the money, the friends, the self-respect, the self-worth, look, you've always had a place here with me. No matter how prodigal the son may have been, he always remained the father's son. And so the father says, I see you. You got slop all over you, but come here. Come here. Let me put a robe around you, son. Let me put a ring on your finger, sandals on your feet, telling the whole world that you are mine and I am yours. Here, take the robe of a righteous son. Take the robe of a righteous son and claim it, claim it as your own. Welcome home. Come back. And there might be some of you that you need to open your eyes and see that your heavenly father is standing there with a robe of a righteous child offered to you just as a gift, as a gift bought by the blood of Jesus on the cross. He's saying, come home. Because I know that when you look at yourself you see a mess. You, you see past mistakes. You, you see evidences of your past. You, you see your old self, but, but I see something else. Take the robe of a righteous child because that's, that's what you deserve. And I've bought this 
for you. So take it. Let me cover you and claim you. And if the parable ended just there, it'd be great. But it's a parable and not a fairy tale. And so how many sons did the father have? And how many groups of people were in the audience? Two. There was the misbehavior, the sinners and the tax collectors, and then there was the behaviors, the scribes and the Pharisees. And so Jesus continues on the story and he says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. (laughs) And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. He says, your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. You see, grace not only claims you, but grace also celebrates you. And so the older brother... The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So what happens? The father went out to him. See the roles are reversed? The father went out to the older son and pleaded with him to come back inside. But he answered, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've been such a good little behavior. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Look, I'm not saying don't let him come back home. Let the younger son come back home, but let him eat bread and not the fatted calf. Let him, let him come back home, but this is no time to throw a party. After all, there's a famine in the land, and you've given everything that you have to him already. Let him come back home, but don't celebrate him. That's just foolish. Give him sackcloth, not a new robe. Let him wear ashes on his head for repentance. Don't give him a ring. Let him come back home on his knees, weeping in shame and guilt, not kicking up his feet, dancing. But you see, both sons, both sons really never knew the father. They really never understood the heart of their own father. And in the older brother, we see that it's possible to remain at home and still become lost. Are you with me? It's possible to remain at home and still become lost. It's possible to have never wandered away and still miss hearing the father calling you his beloved son or daughter from the next door over. It's possible to remain at home in the house with the father but never actually have peace at house of the father. And so the older brother hasn't been witnessing. 
He hasn't been watching his father. He hasn't, he hasn't been seeing his father's heart break over the loss of his son because he's been too busy obeying, behaving, doing his work out in the field that he's missed all of this and, and, and he's missed the father. And so now he's resentful. And he doesn't want to go back into this party because resentment and celebration cannot coexist. Resentment tells me that I didn't receive what I deserve. Resentment tells me I I didn't receive what I truly and duly deserve. But that's not what the story is about. Because that's not what grace is about. Grace is something that has been given to all. All have received a portion of it. All are offered it constantly. And there's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to earn it. And so grace offends our sense of fairness. Grace offends our sense of of deserving. And so Jesus said, scribes, Pharisees, are you listening up? Do, do Do I have your attention in the back row? That you're so upset that I'm out here partying with the tax collectors and the sinners. So listen up to this next part. Because this is for you. Jesus said, you know what the father says to the son? He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And now this older brother who's refusing to go inside, now he's the one that's found outside by the father pleading with him, inviting him, come on in. Come on in and celebrate with us because you've got this all wrong. The party isn't about performance. That's not what the party's about. And if it was, you would have had your party a long time ago. You've always been with me. But the party's not about performance. This party's about proximity. This brother of yours was gone and he has been found. He was dead and now is alive. And so let me ask you this morning. Are you tired? Are you tired of wandering? Tired of wrestling with your conscience and and, and still losing the battle? Are you tired of the guilt? The shame? Are you tired of trying to Drink it away or medicate it away or, or hurt yourself to get it away from you. You're tired of being dead. Or maybe, are you tired of being resentful? Are you tired of never having peace? Of trying to always keep up and, and outperform and, and prove and prove and prove and think that it's all about behavior. Are you tired of that? There was another time where Jesus had the same group of people gathered together. And he told them 
not a parable, but he gave him an invitation. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That sounds like the Father's heart. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so if you're tired of trying to think about what God thinks when God thinks about you, you just settle that here today. God loves you. God thinks that you are a beloved child, a beloved son or daughter. And you're offered the clothing of a beloved child invited into the house of the Father. Come in and find rest, find home here. That whether you've been lost for some time, you're invited to be found. Or whether you've never been lost before, but you're still not quite found, you're invited to come in and celebrate to come and be found in the house of the Father. Because he's prepared a place for you and has invited all to come and celebrate. And this time, there's a feast, but there's no fatted calf. There's a slain lamb. Jesus gave himself up for us to offer us grace and to invite us in to the Father's house. And so on the night before he did any of that, he had a feast with his friends, this ragtag group of people that had been following him, and he took bread and he gave thanks to you, O God, and he blessed it and he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the supper was over, he took the cup. And he gave thanks to you, O God. And he blessed it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, a new promise of grace and mercy My blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. Will you pray with me? Oh God, wherever we are today, Lord, you you know us. God, you see us. in a way that we can't possibly see ourselves. Lord, for those of us, for all of us, who have fallen short, and we might be looking at ourselves, and we just see the mess. We see evidence of the past. We see our old self. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and you speak a word of forgiveness that you cover us in your presence and we wouldn't see the guilt or the shame, but we would only see your love that surrounds us.
We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. We pray your spirit be poured out on us. We pray your spirit be poured out on these gifts of bread and the cup, that they would be for us your body, Lord Jesus, and that we would be redeemed by your blood, forgiven and cleansed so that we can go out into the world and be your church, one body on mission to show the world just how much you love them, how much you love all of us, and you invite us to come back home. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.